Hello, and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Jonathan Cowan, Investment Director from Tilney's London office, and I am talking with Ben Zieger-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds. Um, it's not far off of a, a year since the, the first UK lockdown came into force as the coronavirus pandemic intensified. Much has happened in our personal lives and indeed in our financial circumstances. So today, we're going to have a, a look at where the markets are and what the underlying themes are as we navigate the latest phase of the crisis. And as we remain in lockdown, we are recording the podcast from our homes today on Monday, the 8th of March. Before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So, Ben, turning to the latest developments in the investment world, please give us a rundown of what's happened in the market since the last Tilney podcast. Thank you very much. So since the last podcast, so let's talk about February and we're now into, the, as you said, the, the first week of March. And really, the main theme is that the recovery trade is continuing to build, but it's got headwinds. And we're certainly seeing a sort of uh, stuttering start to the year. Uh, cyclicals are doing relatively well. Some of the, the sort of more growth stocks that did very well last year are, are facing a few more headwinds. And in many ways, February was a lot like January, with the markets whipsawing around, struggling to find much in the way of sustained traction. Now, markets are up year to date overall. Um, March has started pretty reasonably, um, though the US and emerging markets are struggling. The UK and Europe doing a, a little bit better. But the big moves have really been in government bond yields, um, and particularly in US treasuries and UK gilts. Those yields have been surging both the 10-year UK uh, US government bond yields up around half a percent in February, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot when it comes to government bonds that tends not to move uh, around all that much. I remember that the yields move in the opposite direction to prices. So very, very broadly speaking, that sort of half a percent um, increase in, in bond yields over uh, the 10-year bond yields over the last month translates to around about 5% uh, negative movement in terms of the price in very broad terms. So where they are now, gilt yields, you'll remember, they're very close to zero um, through the, the latter part of last year and start of this year. Now those sort of benchmark gilt yields around 0.7%, 0.8%. US Treasuries, the equivalent uh, over in the US, are up just over 1.5%, actually, as we looked earlier, around one6 So they've risen a long way from where they started the year. And that's causing some undulation in markets. And just sort of rounding off that recovery trade, we've seen oil prices rise steadily um, throughout the year. And that continued in February. There were some elements of supply constraints. We've also um, more recently had some concerns over some security elements uh, with, with some of the Saudi Arabian uh, oil fields. And that's how it helped actually push Brent crude up 
uh, through the 70 mark. So lots going on in markets, but it is uh, a little bit of a stuttering start, I'd say, to, to the first couple of months of the year. Indeed, Ben. Uh, and you did mention about US Treasuries, which have uh, been bouncing around um, and seems to be quite a key theme at the moment. Can you explain a bit more about why that is with these price movements and what it actually means for the markets? Sure. And it's it's actually something that we highlighted at the beginning of the year. So some of our key risks, the market is now starting to get its head around. It's not to say they are they'll necessarily derail the outlook, but there are always points that I think uh, even as we highlighted back in January, the market hadn't fully appreciated. I think whilst everyone is focused on economic recovery, at the back of people's minds coming forward is, is the risk that as the economy starts to recover, a lot of the aspects that were put in place last year, so particularly around monetary policy, so the huge stimulus we have from central banks uh, and governments, at some point as, as economies start to recover, then central banks and governments might have to start withdrawing some of that stimulus and we talked in January, the taper tantrum concerns of withdrawing that stimulus had some of the, the early, uh, some of the early impacts. But against that, you've also got to balance the fact that as you start to get recovery coming through, if you do have inflation starting to build, then that's another reason that central banks might have to, might have to raise their rates. So it's both things we said at the start of the year as, as things that we're watching closely. It's around inflation and it's around the potential withdrawal of those, of those stimulus measures. And what we've had over the last couple of weeks, initially central banks playing down the taper tantrum concerns at the start of the year. But then in the last couple of weeks, we've had central bankers not really even comment on the rising rates. And I think the market is hoping that central bankers will say some of these movements have been a bit have been a bit too extreme. We might try and do something to try and steady those markets. The fact we haven't had that commentary, um, and certainly as we write now, or sorry, as we speak now, um, the, the US Federal Reserve, that Jay Powell, the, the uh, sorry, Jay uh, Powell, the, the Fed chairman, had an opportunity to, to push back against them and didn't. And now they're in a blackout period until we have their, their meeting in the middle of March. So we're not going to get any more soothing noises there as well. And that's perhaps spooked markets that the Fed is just sticking to its existing script and not giving some updated guidance. And really what that has done, that's created tension in the market. So if we look at market pricing, looking out to 2023, the markets now think that we'll have one full rate hike priced in for early 2023, and almost three by the end of 2023. Now, if you compare that to the Fed's last projections, that last put out in, in December, um, the Fed is pricing no hikes through till, till the end of 2023. So there's tension between what the, the Fed is thinking and what the markets is thinking is starting to feed in. Now, those forecasts from the Fed were back in December, and all we've had since then is this rhetoric with no real change. That's why next week's uh, Fed policy meeting will be particularly important, because that's the next time that their dot plots are manifested. So overall, it's this tension between the markets, the view coming around in, in market participants that actually stimulus measures might have to be withdrawn at some point, particularly if inflation starts picking up. And maybe it doesn't matter what central banks are saying now, in the face of rising inflation, they may have few options, but to starting start to address that with monetary policy. Okay, so that that's it, it's really a we're talking about inflation here, and that, that has come in a little bit higher than expected. Do you think this is a the start of a high trend for inflation, Ben? 
So I, I, th there are lots of points to get into on inflation. Um, I'm still firmly of the view that medium term inflation is, is likely to be a little bit more elevated than we've seen in the past, um, where monetary policy, but the lack of fiscal policy we had throughout the noughties, I think led to asset price inflation in a sense, but it didn't come through in, in the consumer basket, what we think of as normal inflation. And I think that is likely to rise for reasons we've, we've talked about before. So I won't, I won't repeat them here. What I will say, though, it's really important that you look very carefully at what's being measured and what's being talked about. And that medium term inflation is the, the, in the sort of area I'd expect to manifest over the next sort of five to 10 years. It's that more structural inflation that gets baked into asset prices. A lot of stuff we see on the news that we've was reported in uh, sort of in the last month. The CPI number, that's just a snapshot in time. And that looks at the last sort of year over year. So prices now compared to uh, a year ago. And we saw those in February, which were the data for, for January, we saw those slightly ahead of expectations. So CPI rose 0.1% to 0.7. That was against expectations for no change. The core measure that strips out some of the more volatile elements stayed at 1.4 and Marcus had thought that would dip. So that's just sort of given an inkling at the early stages. Maybe there are some pricing pressures building. Now, what's important to say, you get a lot of base effects. So base effects means unusual events a year ago compared to today might make some of the numbers look a little bit strange. And I think that's what we're about to, to head towards. Now, there's every reason to think that inflation will pick up quite markedly from here, but only on that year on year number. And that's already accounted for. And the central banks will look through that. You'll hear them talk about that inflation just being transitory and not worrying about it. And that's because if you look at 12 months ago, around about now, so March 2020, if you listen back to the podcast, oil prices were crashing aggressively. This is around the time when oil temporarily blipped to minus $34 a barrel. But lots of other commodities were coming under pressure as well. And because we saw that very sharp fall in March, as that sort of moves through the reporting period, you could well see a spike over the next few months. Remember as well that VAT on parts of hospitality was also cut, uh, and that will feed through to the numbers as well. And, and as that period moves through, we could well see CPI uh, as reported year on year spike through the 2% target and maybe even get through the 3% target just on those base effects and then fall back. So that's what we're watching for. We're also looking at some of the more enduring elements of, uh, of elements such as the oil price, energy prices, broader consumer goods, where we think they're heading. So I do think that we're starting to see broader inflation on a sustained basis, but I wouldn't want any listeners thinking, oh, it spiked over the summer and as it drops back in the second half of the year, that shouldn't be taken as a sign that inflation expectations are falling. All of that is, is relatively technical um, and, and, and will move through and is already in a lot of the pricing. It's that medium term inflation that we're focusing on. And I do think all of the all of the key factors driving that remain very much in force. But it's interesting, you, obviously, you referred back to March of last year um, uh, and the world was very different. You referenced the oil price at that time. Um, given where we are now um, and, and we're talking about inflation, inflationary pressures uh, and we've got a roadmap to reopen the economy how does that now impact the the tilney investment strategies that we're employing well fortunately not a huge amount what it does the impact it does have i think it it's worth highlighting how we think about the world and regular listeners will know 
we tend to have multi-year longer-term themes and, and views that we try and, and tilt around and we try and build our medium-term expectations. Trying to forecast anything in the short term is extremely difficult. So it's some of these longer-term measures that we try to look to. And from that point of view, our, our, our outlook has been from the back end of last year, steady recovery coming through, a lot of that in the price because of monetary and fiscal policy, but selective recovery and inflation. And with that in mind, there wasn't a huge change that we had either in, in the roadmap to reopening or indeed to, to the recent budget. Um, and what we're seeing is a gradual reopening. Now that entirely makes sense. We're seeing already, fortunately, hospitalization rates for COVID-19 starting to fall quite sharply. The number of cases uh, falling sharply as well. At the same time, we're rolling out the, the vaccine program. And there's been some really positive news. We're, we're now at that point in, uh, in the rollout, particularly in the likes of Israel and the UK, that are quite far ahead uh, of many of the other major economies. We're starting to get real world data coming through. We're seeing very sharp falls in uh, in the rates of infection. Certainly, those sort of, uh, symptomatic cases, the hospitalisation rates are all as effective, if not slightly higher, uh, than than was expected based on those early trials. So that's positive, and that's allowing the economy to reopen. Also, as we thought, you know, the government is is taking its time um, because it's not just hospitalisations, hospitalisations, and 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 the strain on the. Uh, national infrastructure, particularly the NHS, was the sort of the, the acute focus in the early stage of the vaccine um, vaccine rollout. What they're looking at now is just trying to bring the background levels of infection down as far as they can. This was signposted well in advance. It's something we've written about. So that's largely as expected. And that's to bring the pool down because the, the big concerns are firstly hospitalizations naturally, but then leading on from that, concerns are moving to potential mutants that might make vaccines and previous immunizations less effective. So frankly, the smaller the pool you have of infected people, the less chances the virus has to mutate and achieve that sort of uh, that escape vector. So that's why we're seeing the slow broadening out, the continued support from the Chancellor, sort of largely as expected. So everything fits in with, with that view, the view that we'll have inflation starting to come through and the economic recovery will, will begin. But again, as we highlighted at the start of the year, some of that good news is in the price. A lot of that has been driven by stimulus. So I think that sort of sputtering start to the year has broadly been, been as expected. The only other thing I, I perhaps might highlight or the two points, one of the surprises that was on, on, on the upside for, for the budget, obviously talking about some restrictions that might have to come in in the future, but not anytime soon. I think it is worth highlighting this, this effective super discounting of capital expenditure doesn't sound like a huge amount to most people, but from an economic point of view, I think that be, can be quite important. One of the things that we we're concerned about at the start of the year, if you have the economy recovering, but businesses haven't built that additional capacity you might need for the next cycle, capacity constraint can cause inflation to get quite out of hand. Because as you know, if, if you're a manufacturer, you need to have not only the staff, but the factories and the materials to, to meet growing demand. And it may be that that incentive encourages businesses to invest in the capital required, so the factories and, and machinery and so forth, that might be needed through the next cycle that is sort of at the fringes of positive that perhaps hasn't been, hasn't been fully appreciated. The other point I'd, I'd highlight as being positive, uh, particularly around consumption, there was a concern that uh, you know, as, as people are put into lockdown, 
maybe people will retrench, rebuild their personal balance sheet, start saving rather than spending. And actually, the evidence is even though retail is shut down, so retail numbers are necessarily constrained. When we look within that, we see a lot of people spending, um, unsurprisingly, the, the greatest proportion they have online for a long time. Now, that's not surprising when that's your only avenue, but it does imply that consumption is still alive and well. So when retail reopens, there could well be this pent up demand being released because consumers are still buying stuff online. They're not retrenching. So when things reopen, that could certainly help as well. There was also some positive data last week with the US labor markets as well, um, which, which came in some decent numbers. And it's a key piece of data that, that uh, investors do look at. Well, what's your view on that, Ben? I, I think the US labor market report. Now, the headline number that everyone looks at has been described by some highly respected uh, economists and strategists as a bit of a random number generator. And that's true month to month. You know, have a, a good month and a bad month doesn't really mean anything it washes through. But actually, looking at those data, there are there are reasons to be positive in the US. So in, uh, in February, 379,000 jobs were added. That's well ahead of the expected 200,000. We also saw the previous couple of readings that were quite dire revised a little bit up. So that gives reason for positivity. A lot of that was, was driven by uh, workers in restaurants and bars going back to work. But actually, it's, it's pretty broadly based overall. And unemployment dipped from 6.3 to 6.2. So I think that's, you know, that, that's a positive news story. It also ties in with some of the other factors. So again, I said retail in the UK has been subdued. But in the US, the, the last readings have been very strong. And you've had significant increases in personal income. Of course, in the US, many households have just received stimulus checks from the government. There might be more in due course. And we've seen that coming through in their spending and the jobs coming back. Um, and really, the US, even though the US is, is, hasn't locked down as much in the face of, um, of the COVID-19 outbreaks, does have a slightly different demographic. It is reopening at a faster rate. You can argue whether or not that's the right or wrong thing to do. But they've been reopening and, and early stimulus measures have been coming through ahead of the UK and ahead of the rest of Europe. So in many ways, in the UK, we're looking towards that sort of uh, release of pent-up demand and recovery that we're seeing in the US that's slightly ahead of us in economic terms, maybe that can be a little bit of a blueprint uh, for what we might see in the UK. What I would say, though, uh, take some of the numbers with a pinch of salt from the, the labour market report. Even though unemployment dipped, the US measures employment slightly differently to, to what we do over here in the UK. Actually, some readings, if you adjust for, uh, for example, people that are have left the workforce just because they're discouraged from looking for work, but may come back in. There have also been some reporting anomalies, um, specifically given the nature of this crisis uh, and some of the some of the, the uh, interventions that have come into play. If you adjust for those, the unemployment rate might be sort of higher at the nine percent level. Um, and also, we're not seeing a tick up in wages from the U.S. labor market report. They they have what's called an establishment level official measure, but that doesn't really work very well. That takes the, the, the payrolls at an entire company, then divides it by effectively the number of individuals. But when you have a lot of the lower paid staff, particularly the front end, leaving the workforce, particularly if you're on the shop floor, that pushes those, those figures up. So the actual number from last week was 5.3% year on year earnings growth, which sounds very positive for wages. 
But actually, if you look at aggregate weekly payrolls, probably a better a better measure, there we see it's only 0.8. So there, there's some devil in the detail that implies it's not all entirely plain sailing. But if you combine the US job numbers uh, with some of the, the retail sales data, later this week, we'll have US consumer sentiment data as well. It's looking positive, and that could be a blueprint as, as we look to the future here in the UK. Indeed. Well. That's our time up. Thank you very much, Ben, for your insights and time today. Much appreciated as ever. Uh, we will, of course, be back again soon with a new episode of the Tilney Podcast. In the meantime, if you have any feedback, questions, or comments, please do send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. That's podcast at tilney.co.uk. And as ever, thank you for listening and stay safe. Thank you very much.